morning to everybody. Before the summer, would you believe it, there was a drought in the south of England. The Irish gave some advice to the English government. They said, why don't you dilute it? <laughs> now, um, just this year, I was up in Edinburgh with the team, and my funny story of the summer was this. Um, the place was chock-a-block, and we were there the first week of the Edinburgh Festival. There's over a million people visit Edinburgh during the month of August. There's 13 of us working on a team. We chose a spot, or we found a spot right in the heart of the masses, and come about Thursday afternoon, sometimes the team's getting a bit jaded, and I saw a fella walking past carrying a big sign, and he had a megaphone on, uh, strapped to his head, and he was shouting out one word, or two words, be disobedient, be disobedient. So I went up to him and I said, excuse me, what's your name? And he said, Dan. I said, Dan, would you like a public debate between me and you with this little Christian stand here? He said, okay then, that'll be great. So I said, right Dan, here are the rules. You're going to speak for one minute on why we should be disobedient, and then we'll take questions from the crowd. And I'll speak for one minute on why we should be obedient and take questions from the crowd. Well, Dan went rattling off why we should be disobedient with his big sign, be disobedient, and his megaphone blasting out. But what he'd done was he was carrying a rucksack. And behind the board, he had another megaphone, even bigger, in his rucksack. So while he was answering the questions from the crowd, I went behind the board and stole his rucksack. <laughs> well, at the end of the talk, we all said, well, thank you, Dan, for that. Well, folks, there you have it. You can be disobedient, Dan, disobedient, Dan, or you can think about the way of... At that point, he said, where's my rucksack? And he started getting flustered. I said, well, Dan, somebody's walked off with it. Well, he really got upset. I said, there you go, Dan. Being disobedient doesn't work, does it? He's behind the board. <laughs> Be disobedient, Dan. There we go. Okay. Well, folks, I want to speak to you on the, the theme of cross-centered evangelism. And um, to start with, I think there's a great confusion in our country. And spiritually, if you talk to the average Joe Soap or whoever it might be, they're very mixed up. And then when you look at the church, you can even get even more mixed up. And it just seems to be there's no clear-cut, solid, bright, shining Message, think of anybody spiritually you can follow in this country publicly. Can you think of anybody who the Beeb and uh, the media are willing to say, listen to this person? And um, in the world of sport, they're calling for goal line technology, you know. And the reason they want that is they want to know whether the ball was over the line or not over the line. And they're trying to clear up all the ambiguity of whether it was in or whether it was out. Well, spiritually speaking, what we need in evangelistic endeavor is so-called goal line spiritual technology. We need to paint the goalposts and paint the rules. And also we need to be very clear about our message. And so I want to be very clear about my message today. First of all, I want to say we're going to follow a crucified Jesus, but risen indeed. And I'm going to ask you the question, are you following and then we're going to preach a crucified Jesus but risen indeed. 
And I'm going to ask you, is that the emphasis of your message? And lastly, I'm going to ask you a very simple question. Are you prepared to speak it? Because if we're going to talk about evangelism and cross-centered evangelism or evangelism from scripture, we need to know our message, paint it very clearly so there's no mistakes, and we need to be willing to say it to a dying world. And first of all, I want to ask you this question. Are you following Jesus or are you following a crucified Jesus, risen indeed? You see, folks, it was Michael Green who said, it is not only the message of crucifixion that we need, but it is the crucifixion of the messenger. And so straight away, I simply want to ask you a very simple question. Are you following in all areas of your life the risen Jesus who was crucified? Are you really following him? You see, if you ask a person, am I a Christian or is this person a Christian? That's a good question. But actually, I don't think it's the best question to ask. The best question to ask is, are you an obedient Christian? If a family has a baby and he dishonors the family name through his behavior, that family don't shout much about his surname because it can bring shame on the name. And if a person is disobedient yet saying they're a Christian, then what does it say to the name of Jesus? It's to break the great commandment. Do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And so very simply before we start, am I following the risen, crucified Jesus? Are you following him? And before we even speak about preaching of Christ and the message of Christ and what we're going to bring to this dying world, I want to ask you, does your life commend the gospel of Jesus Christ? There was a Welsh preacher in Swansea many years ago and he was greatly loved by people in Young Life and beach teams. His name was David Shepherd. He was a fiery man. And one day he said to a young lady in his congregation, he said, Karen, we love you. Karen, we want you. But because she was missing from the meetings, he said, but if you are God, he's not big enough to serve. He certainly isn't big enough to save. And so I want to ask you a question as we start. Am I following the crucified Jesus in all areas of my life? Are you following? Let me start on a very simple level. What are you like in your devotions? Are you regular in loving God's word. You see, folks, it's not a case of beating yourself to death to get down on a chair and say some prayers in a quiet room. It's a case of appetite, isn't it? You will do things if your appetite is there. I will do things if I've got the appetite. You know, some of you love steak. You've got an appetite for steak. Well, have I got the appetite for God's word? And can I just say to busy people, and there are some great people in this room and godly people, and may it long continue, but is busyness crowding out your quality time with Jesus Christ? So, first of all, in my walk with Jesus Christ, is it healthy? Number two, when you go home from this place, are your friendships and relationships with your family are they good? Are they healthy? 
I've just spent a week in Ireland. I went right over to the west of Ireland. It's, it's an incredible place. It's dominated by the Catholic Church. And uh, to put eight of my family in the same building for a week is, you know, the loonies taking over the asylum. Well, yesterday when I got home, it took me all inside to say to my big brother, Jim, who's smaller than me, I said, Jim, I'm sorry for the way I barked at you this week. He said, ah, don't worry, Vinny, just one of those things. Just one of those things. But I'll tell you what, I didn't want to say that. (laughs) Something about me said, no, I was right. But folks, do I have to sort issues out at home before I stand up and shout about the cross of Jesus in evangelism? Have you got anybody you need to go back and sort things out with? And then, can I ask you, just when you're at work and college, are you doing your work for Jesus Christ? Now, many of you probably are, don't get me wrong, and keep doing it for Jesus Christ. And what a tremendous testimony that is at college and uni and work. But do I, am I a person who's, you know, a slacker? I'm always cramming last minute to get my assignments in because I can't be bothered the first half of the term to do anything and get organised. And what does my lecturer think of me? And then, am I dedicated to the cause of Christ? Because if I'm going to preach the gospel of Christ and get the gospel right and preach the cross of Christ as the Apostle Paul did, the first thing I want to ask myself is, Am I willing to do it, as we'll come on to later? Am I dedicated to the cause of Christ? You see, it was A.W. Tozer who said these words. All unannounced and mostly undetected, there has come into modern times a new cross, but different. From this new cross has sprung a new philosophy of the Christian life. From the new philosophy, a new evangelistic technique. This new evangelism employs the same language as the old, but its content is not the same. Its emphasis is not as before. The old cross, and this is the one he's commending, the old cross would have no truck with the world. For Adam's proud flesh, it meant the end of a journey. It carried into effect the sentence imposed by the law of Sinai. The new cross is not opposed to the human race. Rather, it is a friendly pal. It lets Adam live without interference. The ascent is still on enjoyment, though the fun is now on a higher plane. The new cross encourages a new and entirely different approach in evangelism. It does not demand the abnegation of the old life before a new one can begin. The new cross does not slay the sinner. It redirects him. It saves his self-respect. This philosophy back of this kind of thing may be sincere, but it does not save it from being false. The old cross is a symbol of death. It stands for the abrupt, violent end of a human being. The man in Roman times who took up the cross, started down the road, had already said goodbye to all his mates. He was not coming back. The cross made no compromise, modified nothing, spared nothing. It slew all of the man completely and for good. And the race of Adam is under a death sentence. There is no escape. God cannot approve any of the fruits of sin, however innocent they may appear. God salvages the individual by liquidating him and then raising him again to newness of life. Folks, I want to ask you a question. Are you following a new cross? Are you following the way of the new cross or the old cross? In other words, are you dead? 
So first of all, if I'm going to preach a gospel, I must be a person who is crucified in every area of my life. But then secondly, we preach crucified, the crucified Christ and in risen indeed. Now, please do not misunderstand. I'm not talking about the wood of the cross. It is not the wood, but it's the work of the cross. Think of it. The mighty God who owns the universe, who sustains the universe, who gave breath to the entire thing and brought it all into being, hanging publicly in darkness on a Roman cross for you. Not the person next to you, for you. Spat upon by this world, whipped, beaten, kicked out. And then God in the darkness dealt with him. So much so that when the clouds lifted and the darkness lifted, they beat their breasts and returned. They couldn't even look upon that mangled mess. Jesus did that for you. Is that the Jesus that you're going to follow? Because he was crucified and raised the third day to newness of life. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 10, who has now been revealed by the appearing of our Saviour Jesus Christ, who has abolished death. Folks, if you would stop and consider that message, who has abolished death? You would have thought that would have never been written in the Bible with the number of people who rave about it, or lack of the number of people. He has abolished death. You can live forever. Is that the message that we're going to bring to this world? I heard a minister say recently something wonderful. He said, the greatest message in all the world came out of the graveyard. Think of the world's op view of that. The greatest message in all the world is numbers on a Saturday night that are in order so I might win the lottery. The greatest message in all the world comes out of the graveyard. And so I want to ask you, cross-centred evangelism, is the cross central with the resurrection in our evangelistic endeavour? Let me tell you why I say this. Just before Easter last year I was listening to Premier Radio and they brought on a guy who was in charge of the youth work for a national Christian organisation in the UK. They were discussing and asking people to phone in with great ideas to getting the message out. This was it. So people rang in. And uh, I thought to myself, well, why don't they just preach the gospel like we're told to? Why don't you just preach it? And then they said, well, over to you. you. You've considered all these things. What do you think you'll be doing this Easter with the message? And this is what he said. My church in London will be on the steps of our church and we'll be offering to the passers-by foot washing. How pathetic was that? But that's their top man. Confusion, didn't it? Foot washing. You come to the footy grounds where I knock about with and you see your foot washing, they'll laugh you out of court. You stupid Christians. That's what they think of you. So how do we reach these men? And what is the message and what is the content? Well, the message is the death of Jesus and his risen power, conquering and dealing with sin. 
But I want you to get this great illustration. It was shared with me with a guy called John Stobbs who works down in Penzance. In the days of the Great American Depression, John Griffiths of Missouri was the controller of a great railroad drawbridge. The railroad went across and the bridge went across the Mississippi River. In the summer of 1937, he decided to take his eight-year-old son with him to work that day. His name was Greg. And he was on duty and he opened the bridge to let all the ships pass. At lunch, he dozed in the sun, but was suddenly awakened quickly by the sound of a train's whistle. Glancing at his watch, it was 1.07. The Memphis Express approaching with the bridge raised. There were 400 people on board. About to throw the switch to lower the bridge, his sight caught the eye of his son Greg, who had slipped off the observation deck and had fallen into the massive gears that operated the bridge. He was trapped between the cogs. John had to make an agonising decision. Either his son or 400 passengers had to die. He buried his head in his left arm and he pushed the master switch forward. The massive bridge lowered into place and the express passed successfully. Griffiths lifted his head and he looked into the windows of the train and he screamed. He could see businessmen casually reading their afternoon papers, finely dressed ladies in the dining cart sipping coffee. No one even glanced at the control house and no one looked at the great gearbox. With wrenching agony, Griffiths cried out to the steel train, I sacrifice my son for you. Don't you care? What are you preaching, folks? What is the message of the cross? You see, the Son of God hung there publicly in agony cursed on the extended extended on the cursed tree and folks my last point to you is this are you willing to speak it I was in a church recently they had a missionary weekend about 60 70 people showed up to support this missionary down in some part of the world I won't tell you where it was and this man gave a report he was there and he gave a report he said this is a clip here of me doing preaching the gospel in my city in the centre they'd all shown up to support this man's work and that was great do you know what was ironic about it all 30 metres away we run an open air every week no, nobody ever comes from that church you see when the cushion is offered people will sit and watch but the cross slays the sinner so I want to ask you a question. Is that the gospel that you bring? Am I willing to live it? And am I willing to speak it? And is the emphasis the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? And so I want to ask you some simple questions. Have you got anything to say to a dying world? 
Now, folks, we've all been on beach missions. May it long continue. But can I ask you, after the, after the afternoon, were you a person who just stood in the crowd with your fellow Christians? Or did you go down the beach and talk to people? Were you willing to speak up? Were you willing to look a bit of an idiot for Jesus because they'd probably laugh at you or here comes the God squad. And often folks, first you've got to crucify yourself to do it, as you know. A few years ago I was working and a guy said to me, would you like some tickets, Vinny, to watch United at Old Trafford? And I said, what day is it? And he said, it's Tuesday night, they're playing Villarreal in the European Cup. So I thought, okay, I'll take you two tickets. He said, well, you won't like it too much. You're behind the goals. I thought, well, that's just what I'd like to be. So I rang one or two people, and eventually I got a guy from Yorkshire to come, a guy called Paul Hinton. You may know him. And Paul said, okay, I'll come. Well, what Paul didn't know was, I was packed with John's Gospels, like a sort of Christian terrorist with these sort of things <laughs> stuck to me. And Paul rolled up. And then when we went into Old Trafford, before you entered the ground, there was 73,000 people on a Tuesday night. And we go under the stadium, and I had my John 3.16 banner in my pocket. Now, maybe it's not your personality to do it, we fully understand that. But for me, I thought, well, I've seen this on telly, and it get me intrigued. So I thought, well, may I have a go? Well, as I began to bring out this orange big banner saying if you want life read John 3.16 everything in my heart went like this Vinny you will look an absolute burk <laughs> you stupid man what are you doing here <laughs> I mean even Paul he was an evangelist he was cowering a little bit I said come on into your great weed what's up with you <laughs> but I'll tell you at the moment I'd just done that And we got into the ground and all of a sudden a tap on my shoulder. This fellow said to me, hello, what is this? So he's obviously foreign. <laughs> I said, where are, you, where are you from? He said, we are from Switzerland. I've seen this on the TV. <laughs> I said, you see what on the TV? He said, John 3.16, what is this? Well, he took a book. I'm sat in the ground and next thing that happened, a steward arrived. They were doing well because who was this guy holding this banner? And she came up and I said, look, I'm just holding this banner. And uh, she said, oh, that's okay. Carry on. Half time came. Well, how do you evangelize Old Trafford at half time? As you know, these football grounds have got these sort of Mickey Mouse characters that walk round. Mickey Mouse spotted me behind the goal. All of a sudden, I'm being abducted by Mickey Mouse. What do you want? He said... I gave him the banner, Mickey Mouse sets round Old Trafford. <laughs> 73,000 people reading John 3.16. I was like, are you listening, Ferguson? Are you listening? And are you watching? Now, folks, not, I don't think any, you know, you've got to be a bit of a nutter to do it, haven't you, <laughs> to be honest. But the point I'm making is, to do that, that took me a lot of, just to lift the banner, that took me a lot. To get that out of my pocket and just lift it up. But I remember these words, Vinny, he was crucified for you. So put your flesh to death, mate. 
And so I want to ask you a simple question. Are you putting your flesh to death and are you willing to speak it? Are you willing to speak up for Jesus? And you guys are in your sixth form colleges. Let me ask you a question. Is there a CU in your college that you can attend, if at all possible? And if there isn't one and you're in school or college, can you get one going? And can I just say as well, the need for mission in our country. You know, it's very important to do friendship evangelism. Please do that. But it's also important to get your missions in the timetable early. And the reason being is because people pray for missions. And if people pray for missions, you create a spiritual environment and God seems to come and work where people pray. So please keep your missions in there if you can. Am I willing? You know, people say, well, let's have a time of worship. I say, well, let's have a time of evangelism. We'll have even more worship then if you think about it. But, folks, am I really following Jesus and am I really pulling out the stops and making things happen? I mean, Roger's track for me this summer, the light of the world, you know, the torch, there was thousands of people in Southport, thousands, to watch some bloke carrying a torch off on his deathbed, you know? Well, how easy was it just to say, souvenir of the Olympics, souvenir of the Olympics, they were just queuing up for it. You don't know where it's going to go. And folks, I'm finding that an awful lot of churches, not all of them, there's some great works going on, but they just seem to be doing anything. I mean, I don't mind street pastors. Well, let's have more street pastors. But what about street evangelists? Why don't somebody come up with that idea? I mean, you thought it would never have been written in the book, wouldn't you? But am I willing to say it? And am I willing to do it? And am I willing to speak of Jesus prayerfully? And you never know what happens. When I was over in Ireland this week, um, my family lived right out in the sort of, you know, the deserted part of Ireland. It's, it's incredible. You, you know, the sky at night is like the sky here, if you notice last night's beautiful stars. And all week I was hoping to get an opportunity to speak to people. So I went to the wedding of a cousin and at the reception there was a nun there. And then another nun, you know, two of, my, two of my relatives over from New Jersey. And I just said, look, I, I want to tell you how I... But I was sort of fishing all the time for opportunities. And I was kept hitting brick walls and they didn't seem to participate and want to get involved and speak. So I kept praying and at one point I was a bit discouraged. But it was about quarter to eleven on the... Um, Thursday night, I, I had to be up at quarter to two in the morning at quarter to eleven at Thursday night. I just went to show some photographs to one of my relatives and she said, come in, Vinnie. I said, look, Phyllis, I've got to go. I've got to go and see Auntie Sheila and everything. But she said, come in, come in, sit down. She said, this book you've given me on um, uh, Everyone a Winner, the one that Roger referred to. She said, now tell me about this church you're in. What does it mean? Well, I was fighting to get away because I had to catch my ferry. But the point I'm making is that if only you go fishing, folks, go fishing for men and women, and go fishing with a message that tells people about the love of God. And tells them about the Lamb of God. And tells them about the mighty God who hung there publicly on a Roman cross. 
You all well know that the founder of Beach Missions was uh, Lance Pibworth and Werner Wright. Well, Lance, for those people who've been around Beach Missions for a while, used to have a classic story on the polo mint. And just to paraphrase it all, imagine that you're at school sort of 20 years ago and you, you sat in the class with your seven-year-old mate and you, he says to you one day, would you like a polo mint? And you eat your polo mint. Anyway, years pass and eventually you're in town talking to this fella. And this fella's in a tremendous road accident. And what happens is that you see him about to be run over and you push him off the road and you take the whack of the lorry that puts you in hospital and on a life support machine. Sorry, sorry. Um, he, he takes the whack of the lorry that puts, would have put you in hospital on your life support machine. And so what happens is you go to see this man because he's saved your life. Come out of hospital and the man says, to you, where have you been today? And he says, I've been to see my mate. He said, is he a good friend? He said, yeah, he's really good to me. He said, oh, tell me about him. He said, well, do you know what? He's given me a polo mint. Now, why am I telling you that, folks? Because if your emphasis is not the love of God, the death of Jesus, the risen Saviour, you're missing the entire point of the cross. And the resurrection is risen indeed. And it's not the wood. It's the accomplishment of Christ in the heavenlies that gives us life eternal. And we tell people to repent and receive Jesus Christ. Now, I want to ask you a question. Of all things you're doing in life, are you doing that? Am I doing that? Don't worry about other Christians. They'll go sideways and get wrong emphases, but that's not my duty. My duty is to keep in the book. Am I willing to share the message of the cross in evangelism? And folks, can I say this to you? Think big. Think big. In your town, can you pull together five or six churches to launch a mission? Can I do it? There are thousands on every precinct. And many of them actually want to know. And so I want to ask you a question. Are you willing to put your all into that? Gospel-centered, Christ-preaching, dying lamb, risen saviour, evangelism. Is that where I'm at? A few months ago in the local newspaper in Southport, this came out as a headline. It spoke of a man. I'll just read the bit of it. He said, um, a serial liar conned £1,700 from his girlfriend to go on a luxury holiday by pretending his mother had died. Peter Wall, 29, said he needed the airfare to fly out to his mother, but secretly went on holiday to Bondi Beach instead. This is the headline. The man with the coldest heart in town. How warm is your heart? John Wesley was out of breath chasing souls for Jesus. Have I got that, folks? Have you got that? And you'll get it when you get to the cross and get crucified and say, God, take me up again and use me again and help me to reach people. And there's something about the preaching of the crucified Jesus that draws people. The love of God being explained to needy sinners 
Think of it. God in Christ hanging publicly on a cross for his creation. Hanging there. Am I preaching that message? He's risen indeed.